Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for being with me today. I look forward to this time. And I'm very glad that I've got a great show lined up just for you. Patrick's going to join me in just a minute. Dr. Clarence Schuler is going to follow him. And then a full hour with Ken Samples, who's both a philosopher and a theologian. And Ken is going to talk today about doubt and how do we define doubt. And is, isn't doubt the in- inevitable result of human reflection? And that's going to be an interesting hour. But to get things started, I always like to be on a little bit of a lighter note, and especially uh, that I've been off a little bit lately. So I'm back, and I'm so happy to be here. And Patrick is my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Hello, Patrick. A philosopher in my own right. Yes, you are indeed. Uh, yes. Yeah, philo, which means love. <laughs> of Ofer, which I believe is. <laughs> um, but okay. I'm having a, I'm having one of those good days. I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but today, oh, every now and then, uh, you have something happen. I did, uh, where I accomplished something that is beyond my normal capabilities, right? Something that it's like, that has never happened before. Okay. This is not something I would have expected. So today, this is something that happened to me today. I, uh, I moved a load of laundry from the washing machine to the dryer without dropping a single article of clothing <laughs> onto the floor. Not not even a sock. That's and first. So, uh, it is. I will be uh, signing some autographed 8 by 10s for <laughs> $3.95 if anybody's interested. Okay. And the, the picture is of me in the actual room where this happened. Wow. <laughs> I say set your goals and go after them. Have you, do you realize that, you know, people say, I, you know, I don't do exercise. I don't do toe touches. I say, oh, every time I do a load of laundry, I do about six toe touches. <laughs> I just, pick that one up. Oh, another one. Oh, oh come on. How yeah. hard is it to pick these things up? And, uh, I, I think that the greatest invention, I mean, I think washing machines and dryers were great inventions, but when somebody finds a way to transfer the items from one machine to the other, where you don't have to touch them and fold them perhaps would be nice too. I like that. Um, yeah. Those now there's real labor saving. Yeah. We need a think yeah. tank. That's going to figure that out. I like that idea. Yeah. All right. Let I me, like that let idea. me ask you this, Patrick Albanese from prestigious yeah. West Des Moines. Have you ever yeah. uh, been, uh, found yourself calling someone by the wrong name and then it was maybe three weeks later they said, Oh, and by the way, my name isn't Jerry. It's Terry. And you go, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I've been calling you Jerry for three weeks and you haven't corrected me. Yeah, I I would probably just say, you know, you're always going to be Terry to me. I, <laughs> you, you, you remind me of a Terry. That's uh, that's probably why I did that. You know, my great cousin. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I have done it. It's it's kind of embarrassing. I used to have, and and it, sometimes you say, oh, I I knew this person's name, and now it's gone. Um, and then you're looking quickly around the room for somebody that you can introduce them to. But then you don't introduce them, and then you say, "Oh, I am so rude. You should meet this uh, this person over here, whose name I have also forgotten." <laughs> now, have you ever had somebody do that to you? Though they they call you by the incorrect name, and then you don't correct them. 
Like, how long would you let that go? Oh, I would need to correct it within that meeting. I, I can't let it go because yeah. it's that same thing I don't want anyone to do to me where they don't correct me and I continue to call them by the wrong name. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. I get it. You don't want them to be embarrassed. No, exactly. Because I don't so want to be embarrassed. What if you had accidentally let it slip and then you realize now time has passed? At what point in time would you say, I really have to correct this? Yeah, it gets worse. The longer you let it go, the worse it gets. Yes. Mm-hmm. So having said that, <laughs> yeah. I think it's time to let you know that my name is Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I've been calling you by the wrong name for 25 years. I am so sorry. I know. And mm-hmm. I just I couldn't correct you the first time. <laughs> That's and A-OK. Just got out of hand. You, you kept know, kicking the can down the road. Yeah. I had stationery printed up. I had W2. <laughs> just to keep up the illusion. But, All uh, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a married couple at the gym that has been calling me by the wrong wrong name now for about four months, and I thought, oh, I I can't, and I started wearing a name tag, and it didn't even help. <laughs> so, what is your default name? If you don't know somebody's name, do you call them Captain or Chief or Skipper or what, what's your go-to name? Yeah, so I had a friend that uh, he would just call people Captain, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, so stupid. Yeah, I, I, he got away with it. And then, but it's funny, every name that you mentioned, you say, what is it? Everything's about, you know, are you a pilot of something? Captain, skipper, <laughs> chief. <laughs> you, you have to, you know, uh, I think I've heard people call somebody, hey, doctor. You know, yeah. You're not a doctor. Yeah. But, Buddy, uh, pal. Esquire. How about Esquire? Yeah. Guy. Hey, guy, how are you? And I go, well, you clearly don't know my name. You clearly don't know my name. But this guy that I worked with would, you know, there'd be, be random people coming into our restaurant and he, you know, they thought it was pretty cute that he called them captain until he realized, I think he calls everybody captain. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he always seems to forget my order. I'm thinking he's not got a very good memory. <laughs> captain is fun though. A captain is a cute name, but yeah. Isn't it just yeah. way easier to say, tell me your name again? I think that's the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Now, you know, of course, uh, if you're back when I was uh, working at the old Magic Castle in Hollywood, uh, you know, it it wasn't uncommon to get people to have to show their ID if they looked rather young. Yes. Uh, And so one of my tricks sometimes to get a a name if I had forgotten it was, wait a minute, wasn't your birthday? Hang on, show me that ID again. And I'd say, look at that. You're born in April. I knew it. I could just, <laughs> oh, I'm just going, there it is. And that's their name. And, and of course, it usually isn't the name they go by. Yeah. It's just their legal name. But I would, I had tricks to try and find the name, the introduction to somebody else or, uh, you know, just trying to overhear it here yeah. and there. <laughs> but remembering someone's name, the best trick in the world. Trust me. It is, it is magic to somebody's ears when they hear their name. Especially well, you know, if they didn't expect you to remember their name. Yeah. So I used to do this memory trick when I would, if I was working at this magic castle, if I had the early shift where I had to check, help uh, check people in via age and things like that, if I had to check IDs, um, I, I think my memory's still pretty good, but I could uh, probably store in my head a dozen or 15 names and then birth dates. Mm. Wow. And then I would let, it would be hours would pass and I would be doing different duties, introducing shows and people had completely forgotten that I was assisting up front. And then, uh, you know, three hours later I'd see somebody in the hallway and I'd say, Joe, hang on a second. Let me, let me try something here. This is the magic castle. After all magical things happen here. Your birth date is what? April 10th, 
1972. And this guy would walk away stunned and says, it's the most amazing thing I've seen all night. <laughs> and if, if, if they ever ask me, they go, how'd you do that? I said, well, you showed me right about three hours ago. And I just happened to have one of those memories that mm. I can remember stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That was just a way I amused myself. I like it. I like it. Yeah. All right. Now, Patrick, someone who's lived a long, long time, they're, they're likely to know some pretty important stuff. And they're, one guy in particular is 99-year-old Charlie Munger. And, you know, people always want to know what steps to take to accomplish something. Like, how do I, like a happy marriage, how do I do that? Or how do I become successful? And, and the answers really aren't always easy. But no. it becomes easy if you ask the opposite. For example, what are five things I could do that would destroy a marriage or a business? And when you can come up with that list, you can do it pretty easily. So he came up with a list. I thought it would be kind of uh, interesting to go through. And he came up with a list of 10 ways to ruin your relationships. <laughs> right. So these will be, yeah, it, it, really it's going to be, you're going to be doing the opposite. the opposite. You're right. It is. It's, it's, if somebody says, you know, what's the secret to, uh, you know, you name it, you know, success. Yeah. A lot of times somebody can't tell you, they can't pinpoint it, but they can always say, I can tell you what won't work. I can tell you can, what won't work. Yeah. I so, can absolutely tell you what won't work. Here yeah. are the mistakes people make, I've made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So 10 ways to ruin your relationships. Yeah. So compliments of Charlie Munger, who I believe is a business partner to Warren Buffett. He's 99 years old. Uh, he said, don't talk when something is wrong. <laughs> it's their it's job a, to figure it out. They should understand this. That's right. You sh- it's always on the other person, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to, like to ruin a relationship. Here's another one. Yep. Never give any ground. They will admire your resilience. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one thing. That guy never gives up, wrong yeah. as he is. Yeah, yes. yeah. Number okay. three, be vague about your problems. If they can't figure them out, maybe they're not the right person. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we've, yeah, it's, it reminds me of that old Dick Van Dyke show that uh, Rob has done something that has upset Laura Petri, and uh, he's trying to get to the bottom of it. And uh, he says, what did I do? She says, well, if you don't know, I'm certainly not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Ergo, the problem doesn't get solved. Yeah, of course. Because it was his job to figure it out. Yeah. All right. Number four, yeah. be quick to criticize their behavior. How else will they learn? <laughs> oh. Now, so, so here's an interesting thing. If, if if I may interrupt this beautiful list for a brief moment, you know, like if you start any relationship, any friendship, you don't have any intention to doing these things. True. But, uh, you know, they, they creep in. I, I mean, my wife and I early on in our marriage, we'd sometimes sit with couples that had been together for a while and we'd say, just let's not do that thing that you saw them do where they sit there in the room with each other. And trash each other in a fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what Not he helpful. does that drives me crazy? You know that kind of Yeah. And so we've we've made a concerted effort saying, you know, that doesn't it's not just that it doesn't look good. You know, what type of comfort level do you have with other people to say, allow me to criticize my the person I've chosen to spend the rest of my life with? Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. What does that say about you? Yeah, yeah. Patrick, I think we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue uh, some of Charlie Munger's wisdom, 99-year-old man, 10 ways to ruin your relationships. And if we have time, I think we'll have time when we come back, 10 ways to ruin your mental health. Uh, 
sometimes you, you learn quickly by coming up with a list of what the opposites are instead of how to have a successful relationship, how not to. We'll be right back with Patrick Albanese. Hi there and welcome. If you are a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome packet gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. Hi, back with Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa, the prestigious town of West Des Moines. We're talking today about uh, some wisdom from Charlie Munger, a 99-year-old uh, man. And, you know, sometimes people always want to know what steps to take to accomplish something, like how would I have a happy marriage or how can I be successful? And again, those answers aren't always easy, but it's sometimes easy if you ask the opposite. And he did kind of a um, tongue-in-cheek job of uh, the opposite, 10 ways to ruin your relationships and 10 ways to ruin your mental health. Patrick and I both found this uh, very interesting. Informative no. and uh, not just humorous, but you say, well, these are actually very accurate. They're these very, will work. Yeah. These will work. Yeah. So number five, yeah. never provide support. You're not in this to carry passengers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number six, uh, choose a partner who has different values in as many areas as possible. This will oh. not create unmanageable tension on things going forward. <laughs> oh my! Oh, that that's so. Yeah, and that can. There's a, a couple of areas that can be. You know, if you are in complete disagreement, as for instance, in how to handle finances, mm -hmm. this is going to turn into. Yeah, that one's going to be big. That yeah, be big. Yeah. So, in other words, choose a partner who has as many values in common as possible, versus different yeah. ones. Yeah. Sounds like wisdom. It does. Okay. All right, number seven, think mainly about yourself. <laughs> it's go. quicker and easier to do this. I agree on both points. It is quicker and it is easier. And uh, do you ever have that? You know, it, it could be just, you know, a, a, a friend. It could be, you know, anybody that, uh, you know, you have that sort of a knee-jerk reaction to a request, which, uh, as I often say, is often more jerk than knee, <laughs> mm -hmm. is, is, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and it, then you think twice and you say, well, of course I'll do that. Mm -hmm. Of course I'll help out. Of course I'll give you the ride to the airport or the, but you know, you, initially it's not like you're, you know, all excited about doing those things and you, you do realize the, the better you get at setting yourself aside for those brief moments when something is asked of you, the happier you will be. That's so true. It, yeah. That's You'll be so happier true. because of what you're doing for others. Yeah. All right. Here's another way to yeah. ruin your relationships. And of course, this is taking the opposite approach by Charlie Munger. Number eight, don't tell the truth. They will love the mystery this creates around your character. <laughs> 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 Do you, remember, you remember when you know, when you're younger and you hear you know uh, people saying, "Oh, I I really like that person. They're mysterious." And you know, and you're in the back of your head, you're saying, "Mysterious is not good. No, mysterious is very bad. No, it's very very bad." Yeah. All right. Number eight. Ideally, have nothing in common. This will make it easier to have more time yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry, I read ahead on, because I have the list, ladies and gentlemen, in front of me as well, and I read ahead. 
And uh, that's very funny. And it's also true that you're going to have more time to yourself because, yeah, you're not doing anything together. Yeah, I was uh, overhearing a, a guy say that, that he and his wife had split. And he, and he said, well, we just had nothing in common. And I thought, boy, that's the reason. Um, yeah. They probably had plenty of time for themselves, but they didn't have anything in common, how critical that is. All right, number uh, 10. This is a, a tough one. Hold a negative outlook on life. Uh, they will find your endless pessimism endearing. <laughs> so, I, I mean, it's funny, but I have struggled with that one. I have too. Uh, yeah, and 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 and, I, and of course, you know, you never call it a negative outlook. You say, oh, "I'm just being realistic," you know. Uh, but um, you know, there are times you say, "You know, uh, gosh, I thought everybody liked you know the the honesty of me saying how I feel about things." It's like, yes, but it's a downer. Yes, can you find something positive? Mm -hmm. We're not saying to ignore those things, but it is difficult. You know, at times, to, you know, to find that silver lining, so to speak. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Oh, those are the but ten. Is, well, those are the ten, Patrick. Are. I think we've got plenty of time. We have some time left to move on to the ten ways to ruin your mental health. Now, how Ooh. how do you have great mental health? Well, that's a little bit harder to discuss. But here are ten ways you can ruin it. And this is advice guaranteed. Ninety-nine guaranteed. year old yes. Charlie Munger. No. All right, number one. Do you want to take number one? Sure. Uh, well, compare yourself to everyone because you are the best in every area and uh, this will not make you feel inadequate. Mm. Uh, it's so true. It, and, you know, of course, we, we're endlessly having things paraded. I think I'd sent you an article about how these uh, home improvement shows make you compare yourself to people who did a better job improving their home than you have. And now you can't, your, your sanctuary walking into your own home is just a, a, an area of depression because you say, have you seen my fireplace? I mean, really? Look at that thing. I have got to fix that. Well, you know. Yeah, they're such popular. There's what 50 of these home improvement shows you can watch and every time you watch one you go, well, I don't know if I like my house that much anymore. No, I I can't imagine Chip and Joanna Gaines, they seem like very nice people, lovely people, but I don't know if I want to be friends with them because they'd probably say, "Hey, you know, we've never been to your place." And <laughs> I don't think you're coming over. No, I don't you're not, think you're you, not allowed in the house. Yeah, you're going to come over and I'm going to feel horrible, but yeah, yeah it's it, comparing yourself to everyone, which uh I've stopped doing unlike some of my friends, of course. Good for you. Yeah. I like it. All right, number yeah. 2. Uh here's another way to ruin your mental health. Believe that life is fair. Life always oh. makes sense and owes you an easy ride. When that doesn't happen, take it personally. Okay, so here's a question on that one. Uh, I'm sure you've used that saying to people before, uh, hey, you know, life isn't fair. All the time. Uh, right, I do it all the time as well. And then that is wonderful advice to dispense, but then when I am dealing with something that doesn't seem fair, <laughs> I seem to have forgotten the principle. Mm-hmm. And I was I was watching a guy. He he was uh, very impressed with this Charles Munger list, but he said, you know, this one was one of his favorites because he said, if if you just you can roll with the punches, if you say, okay, sometimes things don't go your way, sometimes you know it it just doesn't work out. Life isn't fair, so deal with it, and you're going to have to move on, mm -hmm. and uh, keep trying, keep working, keep striving. Uh, I, I mean, to me, that's almost biblical because mm -hmm. the Bible tells us that, you know, hey, 
It's, it, things are going to happen. Yeah. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Right from the I words of Jesus. It. Yeah. Yes. All right. And he talk about old guys that knew what they're talking about. Mm. He's a couple thousand years old. His words of wisdom still ring true. Yes. yes. All right. Number three, if you really uh, want to ruin your mental health, think everyone else is looking at you. Okay. <laughs> they have little else on. They have little else on and have been waiting for your next move. Make sure it counts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever... You know, it's uh, people, they can go work out at the gym and they, I think they just assume everybody's looking at them. And I caught a guy looking at me and I thought, look at that old guy checking out, you know, the competition here, right? Another Until old guy looking was, at another old guy. Yeah. And I was looking in a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> it was you. <laughs> it was me looking at me. All right. Checking out me. Yeah. That was not a good, it didn't work out well. All right. No. Number four, expect perfection from the onset, on the, from the outset. If it's oh. not brilliant when you start, then it's a waste of time. Everyone else managed perfection. So why can't you? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny how we can, you have a plan for something and then sometimes you have to go to plan B and occasionally plan C but I know I've actually had some projects or things I've worked on in my life. And I said, I think I'm into the double letters at this point. You know, I'm on double Q at this point. Mm -hmm. And you know, for me, sometimes you get to something that deep into it and you say, well, I have to stick with it till it's done at this point. But it's, it's crazy to expect perfection yep. uh, from yep. the outset. Yeah. 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 All right. Here's another way to ruin your mental health. A la Charlie Munger. Uh, interpret failure as a personal failing. Everything you do that doesn't go to plan was a direct consequence on your own actions. You cannot learn from this and be better. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. All right. We only got a couple of minutes left. So let's try to get let's, through the list. Give cool. up on things easily. It will make I you feel better. I think we can better. move on from that. We'll just move on. <laughs> <laughs> it will make you feel better once you accept it was too hard. So give up on things yeah. easily. And that will hurt your mental health. Complain loudly and often. Yeah, it's good to reinforce your views, and people will warm to your worldview. <laughs> I don't think yeah, sad trombone right there yeah, for you. Yeah. Okay. All right, number eight: define success specifically through things you can't control. This will make your journey more fun and varied. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's nine and nine and ten: be unforgiving to personal failures. You are the only person who has ever made a mistake. This makes you a bad person and incompetent. Nothing will ever change that. <laughs> yeah. So I, they're obviously talking, you know, but we like with other people, you don't, you, you're, you're not forgiving of their personal failures. You're going, you know what? I've never made a mistake. Right. I can't hang out with the likes of you. Right, right, yeah. right. All right, number 10, eat badly, don't exercise, and take no breaks. Your mind is a fortress and these things don't matter. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's, it is funny how much easier it is to sort of look at uh, the opposite and then you have a little bit of a chuckle, but then you say, this is really good advice. Yeah, it is good advice. Because if I just take it, you know, eat well, exercise and take breaks. Yep. That'll help. Patrick, thanks so much. Have a great rest of the day. Great to be with thanks, you. Thanks. You too. Yep. Patrick Albanese has been my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. I always like to start off on a lighter note on Monday to get things going. Uh, Mary Hart is like good medicine. After a short break, Dr. Clarence Schuler is going to join the program. He's written a book called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. We'll be right back.
I am so glad to have Dr. Clarence Schuler back on the program. He's been with me a number of times and usually shows up on the Monday afternoon mix because of his friendship as well with Pastor David Miles. Awfully glad to have him back talking about his new book today that he uh, has written recently called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. He uh, co-wrote that with Dr. Monique Gadsen, who's... uh, friend and colleague, and also helped him through a dark time in his life. Clarence, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Now, this is a, such a important topic because there, especially in the last several years, there have been many, many people finding themselves uh, facing loneliness, depression, and anxiety. So I would love for you to uh, give us a little tour of uh, your experience with it. Well, I think the first time I realized I was depressed was when I uh, began working for the first time for a Christian conservative group, and I was the first black guy to ever work for them in leadership and management. And so, um, and for that particular group, they kind of felt like the black males were the cause of all social ills. So every day you go to work and you kind of just you know, very subtle hints that you were kind of problems with the world. And this kind of is, it was really difficult. And I remember just even coming home and sharing with my wife, and she said, well, it can't be a Christian organization that, that does that. So she just really had a hard time believing that would happen. So that was really difficult. First time I, I think I was trying to deal with, but I didn't even know what it was. I was sort of depressed and didn't know it. Uh, the, the one that motivated me to write the book was when I was actually, uh, had been a uh, a Christian, an organization, a multi-billion dollar organization reached out to me to help them do diversity uh, training and are uh, proposing it. So I wrote a proposal, met with them, the president, their board, everything, their uh, leadership team, and everything seemed to be going well. They called me for a month every day, three three times a week. And uh, at the end, I went out and did a presentation. They paid me for a presentation. The president said, hey, I think your diversity training brings people together where sometimes diversity training is really divisive. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking I'm sort of in, in the house, and we were talking like a lot of money from my perspective, life-changing money. And 10 days later, they, they called and said, hey, we, we're, we've, we're going another direction. And I never knew why, and I was just really, I was really depressed. I went to this really deep depression, and I didn't want to hear the Christian cliches when God closed one door, opens another. I didn't want to hear any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of just... Uh, just very vaguely shared it in my newsletter, and Dr. Monique, um, she read through between the lines and called and said, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? And I said, no. <laughs> and then uh, I asked God about it, you know, just, you know, what was going on, and he just kind of said, you need a counselor. And I said, well, why don't you counsel me? I counsel other people. And um, and so, then, um, you know, what happened after I didn't get a response from him. I called Monique back and said, hey, I'm kind of raw. Uh, will you help me out? Mm-hmm. And uh, and she said, yeah. And and so she began to use her expertise to help me uh, process and, and think about things. But that was my biggest, deepest, darkest depression. Mm-hmm. So, Clarence, would you call that just circumstantial depression? Did you have 
uh, a biomedical, biochemical kind of depression as well? Or were you just looking at the life circumstances and think this didn't work out the way I wanted to and, and I'm, I'm starting to tank? Well, this was um, not biochemical. There are people who are chemically depressed and do need medication mm-hmm. to help them balance that. So I'm not speaking against that at all. In fact, I want them to continue doing it with their doctor's advice. Uh, no, mine was really emotional. It okay. was, it's, it's kind of been a journey, and it's, it's difficult at times. And so that was really what it was. And I think not really knowing what it was at first, but then just uh, just not want to deal with anybody, just want to be left alone. Uh, to that extent, that was new for me and, and, and deep for me. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself in this place where you are pushing people away and want to be alone, and you know in your heart that you can't stay there, right? So what else came along with this depression? Was there anxiety? Were there panic attacks? What else was included in this this season of your life? Well, um, very. I'd never really had a panic attack before, but but I actually did one morning. I was I work out with this guy. He was letting me work out in his house with him for free. He's a a physical therapist and a, a, a trainer, and so I'd go. Um, he and his wife and my wife were friends, so I would go to his house. And the morning I was scheduled to go to his house, uh, I woke up. I don't know, two or three o'clock in the morning, just. My heart's racing. I have pain in my right left arm, and so mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I say, "Am I am I going to die? What's going on?" So I I try to control my breathing, slow down my breathing, my heart rate, and do that. And it's in the winter, and I take my arm out, and it, it seems to be okay I'm from under the covers. But then it's cold because it's winter, so I put it back under. Um, and I just and and I get up, and I feel kind of funny. And I'm driving my wife's car, new car, <laughs> to to work out. And I'm struggling. I said, you know, am I going to have a wreck? And just, even though it's early in the morning. But then I, uh, she had me subscribe to this music channel. And I was listening to this gospel music. And it's usually some gospel music I would normally not listen to. But the words are so powerful, Bill, that it was really impacting my soul. Mm. And so I'm just listening to this as I'm driving to work out. And then get their workout, and the best part of working out is being done. And uh, <laughs> and, and so, uh, and on the way back, I'm listening to it, and really listening to the music and the words, it, it changed my attitude, which changed my thought process. And it was just like that was unbelievable. So I very rarely have panic attacks, but but I did have that. Uh, the anxiety is typically when you are anticipating something, like taking the SAT or ACT. And you don't take tests well, or you're going for a job interview, and you get so upset about it, it's actually more scary than the actual process. But mm-hmm. I, So I, I have had some anxiety stuff, but usually I can mentally process and work through that. But that's that's not uncommon either. So, um, And what we talk about in the book are different ways to begin to uh, to deal with that. Uh, but, but one thing that kept – a couple things kept me in the game. Uh, one was Monique said – to me, she says, you know, when you're in a dark place, God's with you in that dark place, so your dark place can be a holy place. And that right. was just really, uh, that was really profound for me because intellectually and theologically, I knew that, but I wasn't thinking about God being with me in a dark place, and that that dark place can be a holy place. The other thing was, I won't go into all this, but my, I have this one computer, but it, it, I use another software that goes with it that goes for another computer. So anyway, long story short. 
I can't write, uh, send an email out or have it when people send emails saying I'm on vacation, I'm not available until X, you know, I have to keep responding. And so people kept responding or sending emails, not knowing about my depression. So I had to keep sort of helping people out or doing things and helping to be a little bit less Mm self-centered, you know, so, so that sort of kept me talking to people about Jesus, even I didn't want to necessarily talk to people about Jesus. Boy, there's a blessing. Uh, Dr. Clarence Schuler is my guest. He's written a book called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. In Chapter 5, Clarence, you talk about the battle for your mind. I think you were probably mm-hmm. already starting to touch base about that. Uh, talk about how we, uh, how we work our way through that battle. Well, I, I think we have to realize that when we're in that battle, that uh, a couple of things, that we're listening to several voices. We can be listening to the voice of God, you know, through the Holy Spirit, or we can be listening to ourselves that can be negative, or sometimes we may be hearing thoughts from Satan. Uh, I believe Satan can't control our he can't control our mind, but he can put thoughts in our mind. And so I think when we get in that, then we have to really focus on and understand that the person or the voice we listen to or the one we feed the most is the one we end up obeying. Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, James chapter 1 talks about sin. And as we, as it comes up and we dwell on and focus on it, that can lead us into sin. So, but I think it's important to realize that, hey, there's something going on. I need to, I need to process that. And what voice, you know, am I feeding? So, uh, so I think it's really important for us as we try and decide, you know, which voice we're going to listen to. Mm-hmm. And so, what I do and what I shared in the book, there are a bunch of questions that help me evaluate um, what I'm going to do. And so I, I may ask myself, hey, what are the short-term or long-term consequences of regarding each voice that I'm listening to? Um, are there positive or negative or productive things or are there negative thoughts? Are they self-degrading or hurtful to others or to myself and ultimately destructive? And so there's just a list of questions that kind of help me evaluate this. Um, you know, so I, I just said, you know, how would this decision impact my family and other people who care about me? Uh, is this decision morally wrong or not? And then what helps me with that is understand the characteristic of God and Satan. Um, Satan template usually emphasizes the temporal, the short now. Yes. God usually focuses on the long-term consequences. Uh, Satan will often stress immediate gratification well, God would emphasize the lasting effect. Mm-hmm. Um, Satan often maximizes momentary feelings. Well, God would emphasize seeing the big picture, kind of like being what I call a spiritual point guard, seeing the whole floor. And then uh, often Satan will amplify having fun now, but he doesn't tell you about the consequences. So as I think about those particular things, that sort of helps me in this whole battle, you know, for my mind. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has suffered anxiety or depression or they've been in a place where they don't know how they're going to come out of their darkness, the only way you find hope is when you when you start to feel that you're getting unstuck and you have that moment where you go, I think I'm getting unstuck here. How did you get unstuck and what can you share with others who might feel stuck today? Okay, well, let me, let me answer uh, one question. Because a lot of times when we talk about a dark place, sometimes we think the dark place is a bad place, and that's not necessarily true. Uh, I read Isaiah 45, seems like for the first time, even though I've read the Bible numerous times. But in Isaiah 45, 3, which the book is based on, it says, I will give you hidden treasures in the darkness, secret riches, 
I will do this so you know that I'm the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And so that's something what Monique was alluding to, that the dark place can be a holy place if I realize God's with me and I'm seeking him in that dark place. Mm-hmm. And then as I unearth the, the hidden treasures or secret riches, uh, there are going to be things I'm going to learn in the dark place I'm not going to learn when I'm coming out of that. And then that God's probably going to heal me in the dark place. But while I'm in this process, I don't have to rush out of the dark place. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, Clarence, tell, um, tell me that scripture again, Isaiah 43. I, I'm, say, I, I'm sorry, Isaiah 45, verse 3. Isaiah 45, verse, verse three. 3. And would you yeah, read that again? You broke up just yes, a little sir. bit, and I want everyone to hear this. Okay, Isaiah 45, verse 3 says, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you would know that I'm the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really, that was just such a profound verse to find in Scripture that I found there are a lot of verses that talk about, especially in Isaiah, to actually deal with emotion, because, Bill, I don't know about you, but I never really thought about God really caring about my emotions. I mean, what I hear so often is love and biblical love is action, and people say it's irregardless of emotion. So to know that the God of all creation is with me in my dark place was really powerful. Now, getting back to that other question you asked me, how do I get unstuck? Well, I've gotten this from Gary Chapman, and he says when we're stuck emotionally— that we have to line up how we're thinking with the Word of God. And then he says the second thing you have to do, you have to change your actions to make sure they're lined up with the Word of God. And then he says if you change your actions to be biblical, then your emotions will change. Mm, I like that. But if, we, but if we don't change how we're thinking and change our actions, then we'll stay stuck emotionally. Mm, that's good, Clarence. I'd love for you to say just a little bit more about that, because that is a, such an important point. Well, I just I think we uh, have to really understand that um, that God um, is so concerned about us, and so the Word of God is uh, is is uh, is His direction for us, uh, an instruction book of how to live. Mm-hmm. And so, if we start putting into practice being obedient to what He says to do, irregardless how we feel. The reality of the payoff is that it's going to change our emotions, how, how, we, how we feel about ourselves. And so, but we have to, but the faith part is stepping out and doing what he tells us, tell us to do, even though we don't necessarily feel like it. And I think that's the faith component. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, and what's significant about that, Bill, is that we may, even when we're depressed or have a panic attack or have an anxiety issue, that we may actually have more control of our life than we may think we do. Mm, that's such a good point, Clarence. Thank you for that. Let me take a little break. Dr. Clarence Schuler is my guest. His book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. Beautiful. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with Clarence in just a minute. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com.
I'm with Dr. Clarence Schuler. He's the president and CEO of BLR, Building Lasting Relationships. He's a counselor and author of 10 books. And the book that we are discussing today is called Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. And Clarence has walked this out himself, so he's an authority on this, which I so appreciate. Uh, Clarence, maybe we could discuss grieving and depression. Is there a difference? Yeah, um, grieving is, is a natural, actually very healthy thing to do. If you've lost a loved one or there's something that has happened that you need to work through, it's, it's very good to, to do that because what happens if we don't grieve appropriately, we tend to sometimes subconsciously carry that pain and frustration and not have enclosure, and it can actually impact our health, our, our physical and mental health in that process. So, so grieving at the loss of a loved one or, or there are different other things we can do is very natural, healthy, and appropriate. Um, when you talk to um, professional counselors about depression, they typically say that depression can be an extended disappointment or extended grieving. That's not natural or normal for you. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I might have different time frames on, on grieving or how we grieve or how we work through it. So we can't, there's not like two weeks, three months or whatever, but it's what's appropriate for you. Mm-hmm. But, it, but if it gets to the point to where it begins to interfere with the things you would normally do, it could be your sleep, it could be your appetite, it could be just how you think about yourself then you are moving sometimes for appropriate grieving into possible depression or anxiety or, or different things like that. Mm-hmm. Grieving is so personal. And I always think that you're, you're grieving until you're done grieving. Well, well, you're exactly right. Even the thing about depression is so very personal because the center for disease is that when they talk about depression, uh, the bottom line is to say no one really knows what the cause of depression is. Mm-hmm. That's always interesting. And then when you look at it, there are like 12 to 15 different things that can be triggers for depression or or how you may respond or, or 12 different or 15 things you may respond to depression differently. It could be sleeping too much. It could be getting too little sleep. Mm-hmm. It could be eating a lot or eating, not eating at all. It could just be being irritable. And I, it's just so many different things. But like you said, it's, an, it's extremely personal and individual. Mm-hmm. Clarence, if you do go into a, a dark place where you feel isolated and you, you wonder where God is, just remind everyone that God is there with you, even though you think that you're left alone. Well, yeah, he is with you everywhere. And and one of my favorite verses, that, a couple of favorite verses, like in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it's when the Trinity is together and when God the Father says, let's make some humans. And two times in those verses, or three times in those verses, he says, make us in his image. What it means, he gives us his DNA. And because God gives us his DNA, we have purpose, we have value, and we have a destiny. And we need to kind of see ourselves the way God sees us. And that helps us to have what I call self-worth, not Mm self-worship. And if we look at ourselves that God sees us as valuable, uh, that's really important. It's not saying I'm the best person ever, but it's just really important as we do that. So, so I think that can help you with this whole idea of uh, as as we deal with the self-esteem and motivation and all those different things. Clarence, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, years years ago, I had a counselor say to me, "If you treated your friends the way you treat yourself, you wouldn't have mm-hmm. any friends." Mm-hmm. And 
I thought, hmm, okay, so if you're dealing with loneliness or depression or anxiety, uh, is there a new way that you can practice uh, figuring out how to give yourself grace? Well, what's amazing, the way to extend grace is um, is to give to other people. And, and like you just said, the same way we give grace to other people, we need to give it to ourselves. We tend to be harder on ourselves than anyone else is. Mm, true. And uh, and we just need to give ourselves grace. I mean, there, there are a lot of times I will say, God, I can't have a do-over on this thing, you know, or <laughs> if, I don't get yeah. if I don't get everything done, I want to get done that day. You know, I said, well, Lord, if it's okay, can we do this tomorrow? And and try not to stress it out, try not to go to bed with worrying about that, because then that can impact my sleep, it can impact how I treat my wife or, or my kids or whatever. And so it's just kind of taking some grace in, in that process and giving yourself grace, and it's, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And Clarence, I'd love for you to discuss how important community is and how there are ways in which community can come alongside you and help. Well, you know, Monique, uh, Dr. Monique, is uh, a prime example because if you would talk to her, if we did an interview with her, she would say she was helping me not so much as a counselor, even though she used her skills, but she would tell you that she, she was reaching out to me as a friend. And if you read the book, you'll see in there, you'll see a, a trail of text that really goes over a span of a couple of years where she's just periodically checking on me, how you're doing. And it's really great to have that relationship uh, with your family or close friend or, or someone that you can talk to who loves you and will listen to you and let you be heard or felt being heard. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's very simple, but very profound to have someone who loves you and cares about you listen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, we do a lot of marriage stuff. And when I'm counseling married couples, uh, one of the spouses will say, you know, when he listens to me or she listens to me, it makes me feel loved, you know, and that's like, wow. Or it makes me feel important or it makes me feel valued. And so, uh, and then I say, well, what does it look like to feel listened to by someone? And then they tell their particular, whatever it is. And then I tell their spouse, it's how he, like, they're telling you how to hit that target. Mm-hmm. So I think you're the expert on you. So that's really important that you do that. Yeah. Well, especially since COVID, Clarence, I know there's been an increase in people feeling isolated and lonely. And with loneliness comes depression, and with depression comes anxiety. So let's spend our last several minutes just talking about the power of grace and how you never never have to be alone again, do you? Well, no. And what we can do, um, we can give people first what we want for those people. And what I tell a lot of people, I tell a lot of singles, because a lot of singles say, I'm lonely, I don't have anybody around. I say, well, would you, if you feel comfortable, why don't you pray about creating your own community? I said, what do you mean by that? So when you have an apartment and you're an apartment builder or something like that, and you see people on the inside, uh, how about just say hello, you know? And uh, maybe you see an old elderly person who needs help with their groceries or something. Maybe you could help them without asking for anything in return or look for anything in return. And a lot of times the older people will impart wisdom that's priceless for you. And the other time when you're helping other people, Time goes by, and you find that you're not as lonely as you normally would be, or you're not as lonely as for as long as you normally would be because you're helping other people. So why don't you try creating your community and see what happens? And, and don't be upset if people say no initially. Just you know, just keep asking. Or, or people who you have who are acquaintances, maybe y'all could meet up for coffee or something. Mm-hmm. You know, just develop a relationship. Or, or if you go to church, you could say hello to someone you may see at church and say, you know, and 
if it's appropriate, stuff like that. So I would just, you know, take the initiative uh, and you may bless someone more. You can realize and they turn around and bless you more than you ever imagined. So it could be a great thing. Yeah. Even when you help try to help somebody, I think you have to be prepared for them not receiving your help and then you not feeling rejected by it. Exactly. Exactly. Because, and you could say, Hey, you know, especially if you're a Christ follower, that's what it's the right thing to do. That's what God would want me to do. And if they don't respond, a lot of times when people reject it, they're really rejecting themselves, not so much you. Oh, good point. Uh, we just and a lot of times, go ahead. No, we just have a minute left, Clarence. I'd love for you to just encourage people how every day can be their best day. Well, you know, it's really easy. The first thing is that you, you don't want to live within regrets. So at the end of the day, if, if humanly possible, just say, I don't want to have any regrets. So you want to make your last day your best day by doing that. Um, something we all could be guilty of, but don't procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, try and make sure all our relationships are healthy. Now, again, you can't control that, but you can do all you can to try and make sure it's good on your part. Um, financially, if you, there's an issue, try and get out of debt, because a lot of times people worry about money, and that hurts a lot of relationships. You can you can make an effort to be especially kind with our words, whether you're flying on a plane or in service or at the grocery store. Just your words can make people uh, smile. I mean, I, I go to people and say, hey, how you doing? And just say hello. And, and people just smile just saying that. And uh, you can be more patient with people, especially our family. Uh, I know you don't have trouble in Minneapolis, but some people struggle with driving. So you could be a more courteous <laughs> driver. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe a big thing is don't violate your conscience. Yeah. You know, uh, trying to, we do want to help others and please others, but don't violate your conscience yeah. in the efforts to, to do that. Yeah. So I think things like that could be really helpful. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a delight having you on. Thanks, Bill, for having me. You God bet. You. Take a short break. Be right back with Ken Samples. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.